Gilgal, east of Jericho. It was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the River Jordan. And Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, your descendants will ask, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. And he goes on to say, for the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea, when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. I'm going to invite you, if you'd like, to join in this last verse with me from the screen. Well, you can read it in your own version if you've got a different version, but uh, let's all join in together saying, he did this so that all the nations of the earth might know the power of the Lord and that you might fear the Lord your God forever. Let's say that last verse again, if you don't mind. He did this so that all the nations of the earth might know the power of the Lord, and that you might know the Lord for, forever. <clears throat> right, that's a really key verse, and uh, you can see that um, that's the reason why I've got it in bold. I'm not going to preach a political sermon, you'll be pleased to hear. I'm not going to preach a military sermon, but I do hope and pray that it's going to be biblical and that it's going to be about remembering. I'm going to show you, would you like to see a picture of the tree of life? I've got a picture of the tree of life. Yeah, here it is, the tree of life pretty manky looking tree you might say and if you look at a close-up of the uh, the trunk of the tree you'll see it's made from bits of old scrap iron the story behind it is this in Mozambique there I was going to say there was a war but actually there was more than one war it went on and on and on and over a period of 28 years or so there was 25 years of war internally War of independence and civil war, tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people killed. And at the end of it, a couple of things I'd like to mention. The church got involved in a scheme, um, Christian Aid got involved in a scheme, whereby um, people brought their weapons and exchanged them for tools. The more weapons you brought, the more tools you got. You could get a shovel, you could get a piece of uh, corrugated iron for your roof, you could get a bicycle. One village gave 500 weapons and got a tractor. Brilliant. Brilliant scheme. There were just mountains of old rifles and grenade launchers and revolvers. And a group of artists got together and made this tree of life. And part of the reason is so that future generations will look at it and say, what's the point of that? What's that about? And they'll be able to say, in the past, this happened. It was abysmal. It was obscene. It was shocking. We don't want to go that way ever again. It's to remember and to do something different, to do something about it. We're looking at Joshua and the, the question 
that future generations would ask about a heap of stones. And they would say, or they might say, what do these stones mean? The story is this. The Israelites came out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea with Moses leading them. Crossing the Red Sea was an image of leaving slavery, coming out of slavery. They wandered around for uh, 40 years. They should have been able to get into the Promised Land before that, but that's another sermon. And uh, they ended up coming up the east side of the Jordan to try and come into the Promised Land from the east. But the Jordan River was in flood. Barrier. Couldn't get across. But Joshua has given the instructions to take the Ark of the Covenant, which is the sign, the visual aid of the presence of God, and to place it in the river. The priest, four priests take it, carry it into the river, and the river has stopped. This river in flood. They go across on dry land. And that's the image, if you will, if the first crossing was out of slavery, this is the image of into a new life, into the promised land. And Joshua says, I want one person from each tribe to pick up a stone and they take it across the river and they make some kind of a stone monument. We don't know what it looked like. Um, my mind goes into all kinds of places of what you could do with a heap of stones. You come across all kinds of images um, on the internet and, you know, Joshua was quite an inventive guy. Uh, he might have done something like one of these. I don't know. Okay, there's more than 12 stones. I know, I know, I've counted them too. But here's one with just 12 stones. Um, I love stone balancing, don't you? Have you ever seen this art form? Um, it's absolutely incredible to see what they can do. But that wouldn't have lasted. And um, uh, they probably didn't do that. I don't know. Gilgal means circle. Did you know that? And um, it could be. No, all right, it wasn't that circle. Um, let's have a nice traditional picture of Joshua and a heap of stones. It looks a bit like a, um, an altar or something. Some kind of monument. The thing was this. It was a visual aid. It was a pointer. It was a marker, a sign of something. And, um, you know, we, we have an awful lot of signs and symbols, uh, logos, our signs and symbols. Yep, here's a few that I, um, I just pulled at random, um, including the fish symbol, which some, some Christians I know won't put on the back of their car because of the way they drive. <laughs> and there's the uh, Olympic rings, of course, the poppy today, and um, the cross, the Christian, the main Christian symbol. Although, interestingly, um, that's no longer really understood by a lot of newer generations. I heard a story of uh, a youngster going into a church and saying, what's that letter T stand for on the wall? Yeah. Um, so the whole point of this, this uh, sign, this pointer was to remind the people, any people, of what God had done for a purpose, so that 
all the nations of the earth might know the power of the Lord and the people who've been through it would give God the awe, the respect, the fear of the Lord. Basically, that they would worship God. You see, the sign, the sign itself is just to help us. It's not the real thing. Um, the Christian symbol of the cross is just that. It is a symbol. Um, I, put, um, I put this little cross up here because there isn't normally a cross showing. Of course, Dave came along and put a couple more crosses here. And I noticed, of course, there's the Romanian one over there. And the, the AV team quite often put a cross on the screen, which I find very helpful. But it's only a sign. It's only a symbol. Oh, here's one we brought back from South Africa. Um, the design is from using tea bags. There we are. Uh, surprising. And if you want to know more about that, you can have a look. But it, it isn't in itself a powerful thing. It isn't a piece of magic. So often I've come across folk who think holding a cross is going to help them. I mean, literally holding a cross is going to help them in the spiritual realm. I don't believe that. I believe it's what's happening inside that really matters. The cross symbolises something that uh, should result in action. This is about what happened, and we've been reminded so many times in our, our songs, choice of songs this morning, thank you, Jack, um, about the cross. It says in Romans... He, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, was handed over to die. Why? Because of our sins. And he was raised from the dead to make us right with God. So many false messiahs came along promising a great deal, but they died. They were put to death or they just died anyway. That was it. But Jesus was raised to, new, to, to life to prove who he really was, to prove the power of God. The two belong together. And the cross really is a sign of his death and resurrection. Unless you've got some symbol of the resurrection that you carry around, I should be interested in that. Having said that, that the sign is not the real thing, it's a very, very helpful sign if you know the real meaning. And uh, here's a practical thing which uh, may be useful to one or two of you, I don't know. Um, if you think the cross is just for Sunday, then maybe it would be useful to have a cross somewhere else where you wouldn't normally think of Jesus. I don't know where that is for you. It may be in the car, having said that um, earlier on. Maybe you become a different person in the car, you know, head down, horns up, <coughs> off you go, I don't know. Um, in which case, maybe a cross in the car would remind you whose you are. Maybe at work. Maybe when you're on the internet. If you become a different person on the internet, how about a cross next to your computer? The cross reminds us of the centre of our faith. <coughs> Jesus 
miracles were, were described by John in his gospel as signs. Signs of, well, depends what he was using them as visual aids for. Again, there's a misunderstanding that what Jesus did is normal for everyday life. I don't agree with that. I mean, he healed a blind man. It doesn't mean all blind people are going to be able to see. It doesn't mean that. He was using it as a visual aid. I'm the light of the world. He fed people with a little bit of food. I'm the bread of life. It's a visual aid. And signs can be misunderstood. Um, I try to balance. <laughs> uh, I, I like a sense of humour. I'm, I'm not so keen on flippancy. You know I'm never flippant. <coughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? Um, but I did come across um, this cartoon on the internet. Um, <laughs> the sign says, in case of fire, take stairs. And the picture, in case you're listening later, is um, the man running out of the burning building carrying stairs. Um, some signs can just be confusing. Here's some, uh, some pedestrian signs in London, just all over the place. What am I going to do with that? And here's a road sign, the magic roundabout. Been to Swindon? Who's been to Swindon seen that one? A roundabout of roundabouts, can you believe? You know, the first time I see it, I've got to stop and look, study the sign. It's so complicated for a little guy like me. Um, sometimes we do need to stop and look at the sign, try to understand it. It's coming up to Christmas. Sorry to remind those who haven't really got ready, um, like me, but uh, what's the sign at Christmas? The angel says to the shepherds, this will be a sign to you. Yeah? You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a feed box used for livestock. <laughs> taken, from, um, taken from a comic version. It's really a very good version. But um, the shepherd is going, what? A what? Oh, you mean a manger? Oh, right. Uh, he doesn't really say that. But yeah, there's this sign at Christmas um, that they've got to do something about. They could just stand there and go, oh, wow. But they push off to Bethlehem. They do something about it. It's action that's required because of the sign, the visual aid. I want to quickly mention two Christian visual aids, which I think are really, really important for us to get clear in our heads. And uh, the first one is not the ring. That's to remind me uh, what to say. Um, I've got a wedding ring on, which tells people that I'm married. And it's not gold because I'm allergic to gold. <laughs> it's a shame, isn't it? Um, and um, if someone's wearing a wedding ring, you would assume that they're married. In this country, generally, if a woman is not wearing a ring, you would assume they are not married. It's becoming more difficult to tell. But if, generally, if a woman is not wearing a wedding ring, they're not married. In the first centuries, 
uh, after Jesus died and rose again, if you were not baptised, generally speaking, you were not a Christian. It was part of the normal Christian life to be baptised, to be following Jesus. Not only did Jesus say that we should be baptised, um, but also he was baptised, and he didn't need to be, of course. And if we're following him, following in his footsteps, why not? It's a visual aid, it's a brilliant visual aid, because it's, it's multi-sensory. Now you see it, you hear it, uh, the person being baptised, uh, there's the sense of touch, um, you, you smell it almost, it's, there's the humidity, and if you're unfortunate enough to open your mouth when you're being baptised, then you can taste it as well. It's, um, yeah, it's multi-sensory visual aid. It's powerful, it's drama, and people don't forget their baptism, being buried with Christ and being raised to new life. It's a great symbol. But it's not magic. It doesn't make us into Christians. The water doesn't make us into Christians. If it did, I'd be tempted to go out with the hosepipe along the seafront. Or on a very wet day to drive along and get anybody who is uh, standing next to the pavement. That's not what it's about. It's about obeying the command of Christ Jesus, who said to his disciples, go, make disciples, all nations, baptise them. And we go, well, actually, I've got a few questions about that, Lord. I'm not really sure I want to do that. I have been given all authority, Jesus says, in heaven and on earth. Therefore, So he's commanded it. He also commands another visual aid, another sign of communion. You might call it Eucharist, you might call it Lord's Supper or breaking of bread. It's what Jesus commanded. And we do this regularly. The question in my mind is about this business of, he did this so that we would have the fear of the Lord. And I wonder if these signs, these visual aids, these sacraments, um, result in awe, result in uh, the fear of the Lord. Going to the flippant side for a moment, I came across that on the internet. Without the bread of life, we're toast. Which is true, um, though rather on the flippant side, uh, if we don't also get it right in our, in our soul, deep within us, that God is worthy of our worship because he's awesome, then we're only going to treat it flippantly. Oh, it's communion this morning. Oh, I forgot that. Oh, well, it's just one of those things we do. You know, I had breakfast this morning. Well, some people had breakfast this morning, I hope. Um, and some don't. And, yeah, oh, it's communion. Well, that's all right. We'll just do that, and then we'll get on with the rest of it. No. It's, uh, it's about the fear of the Lord. All respect, worship. 
That's, that's what he said. That you might fear the Lord your God forever. I wonder what are your, what are the things that remind you? What are the markers in your life? What are the things you remember about God's action in your life for which you are going to praise him? How do you remember these things? How do you mark these things? I heard this week of a family who actually used pebbles, actually used rocks, to remember certain things. That's unusual. Um, some people would just write it down, journaling, um, regularly writing down what they see God has done in the last week or the last month, and then look back and praise God. Can you look back and see something that God's done and praise him for it? <clears throat> Some years ago, there was a teenager walking along the seafront. Uh, he'd just been working in the, uh, the beach huts selling candy floss and toffee apples, I think. And um, he saw some, some adults building a sandcastle. I mean, it was a huge sandcastle, giant sandcastle. And they looked a bit tired, so um, he thought, well, I'll go and help. Went down and offered some help. And they said, no, 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 it's fine. This is, this is for a beach mission that we're doing here on, the, on Weymouth Sands. Those of you who live, lived here for some time know that there were beach missions. Um, but, they said, there is something in the evening for you. There's a coffee bar. It's definitely a long time ago. Right? <laughs> coffee bar. And uh, this guy came along and went to the coffee bar that was down in the cellar here, in this church. And uh, sat there, and there was, there was some musicians um, <laughs> playing some moderately okay music, and um, sat there for a while, and this chap came along a year or two older, and said, I've got this survey that I, I wonder if you can help me with. Asked all these questions, and he ended up saying that that's the end of the questions. Oh, there is one more. Would you like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ? And he said, yeah, okay. Which shook the other guy. Um, and he went and got a mission team member, and the three of them went up into that room that's over there where the creche meet, and we have communion in the evenings called whatever it's the parlour, all oh, right. It's the part, really, the parlour, right. And it was in that room, 51 years ago, I gave my heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. In there. And that's just, just a marker, you know. And it was amazing to come in here, and we went in the evening, the first evening service we went to was in that room. And I was going, oh, this is really important, really important to me. Um, but that's a long time ago, you know, more than half a century. Oh, my goodness, it makes me feel old. Um, long time ago. What did God do for you last week, last month, you can praise him for? How do you remember these things? And when people look at our lives, do they see the power of God? Do they hear about the power of God? Or do we keep quiet about it? They're not going to know about the power of God in our lives unless we tell them. I mean, it's kind of obvious stuff, isn't it? Somebody said, I thought it was really good, that Christians should be living questionable lives. Not dodgy questionable lives, 
but raising questions in people's minds. So they want to find out, why do you do that? Why don't you do that? You know, why do you go to church? What is it about you? Well, why did you say that? Why are you wearing a cross? Do people ask questions? Um, if someone asks you about your faith, do you think, I've really got to tell them everything about my faith and I can't remember it all? Or do you say, right, what does this person need? How can I leave, as someone else put it, a stone in their shoe? Leave them with a question that's nagging and they've got to do something about it to find out the answer, to find out so they're satisfied that they know something more. None of us know all the answers to all the questions. That isn't what we're called to do. We're called to be faithful and to be open and honest about our faith. Hmm. The cross is about us having a relationship with God, or it's about the possibility of a relationship with God if we've never started on that. It's about being friends of God. The picture that is used is of a relationship that's broken, people estranged. And because of the cross, there is reconciliation brought back into relationship. And that's what the cross is about. I mean, it's profound, but it's simple enough for even me to understand. I think it's amazing. And I think we should be sharing it. What is it you remember? Yes, on Remembrance Sunday, we have specific things. But what do you remember which reminds you of what God has done in your life and for everyone. God so loved the world that he gave his son. There's a lot more I could say, but I'm going to stop there. I'm going to ask the uh, musicians if they'll come up, and we're going to, um, going to sing our last song. I'm going to read a psalm, or some verses from a psalm, First of all, some verses from Psalm 89. I will sing of the tender mercies of the Lord forever. Young and old will hear of your faithfulness. Your unfailing love will last forever. Your faithfulness is as enduring as the heavens. All heaven will praise your miracles, Lord. Myriads of angels will praise you for your faithfulness. For who in all of heaven can compare with the Lord? What mightiest angel is anything like the Lord? The highest angelic powers stand in awe of God. He is far more awesome than those who surround his throne. O Lord God Almighty, where is there anyone as mighty as you, Lord? Faithfulness is your very character. <clears throat>